A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. Oh no! Look at my sleep tracker. I only got. Ten percent deep sleep last night. That's awful. Have you ever had these conversations with yourself in the morning? Don't worry about that. Your sleep actually could be really normal, and that's what we talk about with Dr. Fiona Barwick last week. She is from Stanford Sleep Medicine Center, and she talked with us about some common sleep myth. And today she will continue with this conversation and share more with us. Another sleep myth: I should go to bed early. If I need good sleep, I should go to bed early.、This、yes, especially in China, we say you have to go to bed like before eleven p.m. Ideally, ten p.m. is healthy. Yes, and I understand why because you know the idea is if you go to bed at ten, the body goes through certain cycles during sleep in which different organ systems are sort of replenished or regenerate—not regenerate, but restored—and、um, so you need to make sure you're in bed by ten because otherwise you'll miss that cycle. This is the the cycle of sort of restoration repair might well be true, but the timing of it is not correct. Because there is what I describe as normal variability in sleep, it differs the, the amount of sleep we need, the time that we need to sleep differs between individuals, just as height and weight and intelligence also differ between individuals. So this normal variability in sleep includes sleep timing. There are what I typically think of as larks and hummingbirds and owls. Larks tend to feel sleepy very early. Seven to eight in the evening, and then they're wide awake at three to four in the morning. Hummingbirds are sleepy a little later. That's probably the most common sleep phase, or what we call chronotype, the timing of your sleep. So hummingbirds feel sleepy a little later, ten to eleven in the evening, and then they're awake at six or seven in the morning. But night owls usually feel sleepy sometime after midnight. I think the window we see most commonly here at the sleep center is a sort of one to two a.m. bedtime, and maybe a nine to ten a.m. rise time. Now the important thing to understand here is this variability in sleep timing is 50% genetic. It often runs in families, and they've identified genes associated with the the larks and the night owls. So because it is 50% genetic, a night owl whose natural bedtime is 2 a.m. can't fall asleep at 10 p.m. It's not going to work. It doesn't mean they won't go through this cycle of restorative sleep. Um, but that cycle is going to happen later for them. So from two to three is when the first organ system will be replenished. From three to four, whatever it is, I don't know the exact timing. So you have to be very. This is one of the biggest myths that people have that somehow they should be able, or those they they love should be able to go to sleep whenever they want. You can see how with a couple this could cause problems, because if you have a A lark or a hummingbird whose natural bedtime is 10 p.m. and you have a night owl whose natural bedtime is 1 a.m. They're not going to be able to fall asleep. The, the lark or the hummingbird is going to have a hard time staying awake until 1 a.m. The night owl is going to have a hard time falling asleep at 10 p.m. And there could be a lot of tension or conflict around this. 
Whereas if you understand the normal variability in sleep and the fact that it is at least partly genetic, you're more willing to allow your partner to sleep in the window that works best with their biology. Because the reality is we will always get our best sleep in our biologically appropriate window. Wow, looks like there's one more thing married couple can communicate with each other. <laughs> yes, we, we definitely see couples where one partner is a night owl, another partner is the lark of the hummingbird, and the, the lark of the hummingbird is usually the one who wants the night owl to come to bed with them. And when the night owl doesn't want to or hesitates because they know they're just going to lie there for three hours waiting to fall asleep, the lark of the hummingbird takes it very personally. It feels like they don't, you know, you don't love me, honey. Why don't you want to go to sleep with me? Why don't you want to come to bed with me? But it's not that. It's that they literally can't fall asleep at the same time you do. And so it's very important people understand this normal variability in sleep because just because I sleep one way does not mean you or others are going to sleep the same way. And I need to respect that. Yes, exactly. I think that's very important for the couples, for everyone to keep in mind. And regarding the 50% genetic, that's a great data. Actually, the company 23andMe, I think they published some of the data they have collected over the year, which provided more evidence supporting that. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. I think they even have a line item in there indicating a delayed sleep phase. So that's more of a night owl type. Mm. Um, and they probably have a line in there indicating advanced sleep phase, which would be more the morning lark, because they literally have identified genes associated with these things. Yeah, I think I remember someone mentioned they were so happy when I talked to them about this data. They were so happy to get the permission to either get up early or go to bed late. That means a lot to them. Yes, we see a lot of night owls here in Silicon Valley. Uh, and there's a lot of social pressure or social stigma attached to getting up later, which is truly unfair. I, I believe that we discriminate against night owls in the same way we used to discriminate against people who were left-handed. We used to believe that people who were left-handed were actually influenced by the devil. We would beat them if they wrote with their left hand. So obviously, we did not understand the, the neurology, biology of handedness. Um, and the same is true for the timing of sleep. We don't understand that there's this normal variability. And so we think everyone should be awake and alert at 7 a.m., which is profoundly unfair to the night owls. And so I've had the same experience as you, Ishan, where when I tell people, I will prescribe that they literally go to bed at 2 a.m. And they look at me like, Really? I can go to bed at two. They're actually excited about it. They can't believe someone is giving them permission to do this. And someone is normalizing their sleep because when night owls are allowed to sleep in their biologically appropriate window, their sleep is fine. I really like that. I like how you uh, prescribe sleep time to the patients. <laughs> and sometimes I actually have to write a prescription so they can show their partner. <laughs> <laughs> to make it formal. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so another sleep myth is using a pill will help me sleep. Unfortunately, what the pills are doing, whether they are prescription pills or over-the-counter pills or non-prescription substances like alcohol, which is the most commonly used sleep aids, sleep aid, these things are not helping you sleep. What they are doing is sedating you. They are 
rendering you unconscious. If you are unconscious, if you were hit on the head with a baseball bat, knocked unconscious, would you actually be asleep? No, you would not. You would simply be unconscious. You would not be going through these different stages of sleep that are so important, the deep sleep, the light sleep, the mid sleep, the dream sleep. This would not be happening. So you are simply sedated. And oftentimes, sleeping pills will take away the sleep stages that seem very important, like the deep sleep or the dream sleep. So there is no pill that recreates normal human sleep. So when you use a pill to sleep, you're not actually sleeping. You're sedating yourself for the night. A lot of people actually always trying to go to pills very quickly when they cannot sleep or when they wake up in the middle of night, cannot go back to sleep. But you are saying actually that is not really helping. No, not only is it not really helping, it's actually hurting. So it's depriving you of natural sleep. There are certainly short-term consequences. People will often feel sedated during the day, foggy, more likely to make mistakes. The risk of accidents, car accidents and other kinds of accidents is increased. People can feel more easily confused. So there are certainly short-term effects and long-term effects as well. I think one of the growing concerns among people who prescribe these medications is there seems to be an association between longer-term use of these medications and dementia. So we're certainly seeing prescribers who are no longer willing to prescribe for, for years. These, if someone uses a, a sedative hypnotic medication, so a prescription medication or an over-the-counter sleep aid, it's only supposed to be for the short term. You're not supposed to be using it for months or years. So yes, you can definitely do yourself harm by relying on sleeping pills to help you sleep. Now, having said that, for certain disorders like restless legs, medications are very appropriate. Narcolepsy, again, medication is very appropriate. For, but for insomnia um, or circadian rhythm disorders, no, no, no. The most effective treatment are the cognitive behavioral techniques, changing your behaviors and changing your thinking, the, the behaviors and thoughts that are interfering with your sleep. And I always tell people, it, it's the same sort of evolutionary argument. Our, there's no pill is going to be more powerful than our biology when it comes to helping us sleep. We were talking about that sleep pressure that builds as we're awake and active. So activity. There's a particular molecule called adenosine that builds up as we're awake and active and then comes down as we sleep. You can think of it as sort of a, a sleep molecule. It's obviously more complicated than that, but simplistically. Adenosine is a sleep molecule. Adenosine is the byproduct of energy expenditure. So if you're expending energy, you're building adenosine. If you build adenosine, you will build sleep pressure. If you build sleep pressure, at some point you'll fall asleep. There is no medication that produces adenosine. The only thing that does it is activity. So you, your biology is far more powerful when it comes to helping you sleep than any medication. And that is why the cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is the gold standard treatment, the recommended treatment from pretty much every major medical um, association, both nationally and internationally. Wow. Yeah. So that's good to know. So medication is not as magic as we imagined. We always think medicine actually help us with our sleep, but in reality, it's actually hurt our sleep. Yes, yes, very much so. So we're big advocates of people using 
natural means, the behaviors, the thoughts to help improve their sleep. I think the drawback or, or what makes it hard for people is, you know, changing your behaviors is not necessarily an easy thing to do. It takes conservatively three months to change a behavior. Um, and so, whereas a pill seems to help overnight. Uh, now, the advantage to the cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is when you change your behaviors in a rigorous way, you actually can see improvements in sleep within two to three weeks. Um, and then if you continue to use these and other strategies, sleep will continue to improve. Whereas with the pill, you take the pill, you sedate yourself, you deprive yourself of normal human sleep. And then when you go off the pill, you're right back where you started. You actually haven't addressed the, the underlying problem. So we are big proponents of people using their biology to help establish and maintain healthy sleep rather than relying on sleeping pills. Yeah, I think many of us just want an easy way out. We don't want to put effort in. We want to rely on something and get all our problems solved. Yes, and what people don't realize is uh, short-term gain, long-term pain. So yes, in the short term, it might seem quicker and easier to take a pill, but in the long term, not only is it not a sustainable strategy, you can actually incur negative effects over the longer term because of the strategy. Whereas if you change your behaviors to more healthy behaviors, if you change your thoughts to more helpful thoughts, these things are cumulative. The benefits continue to build as you use them, and these are totally sustainable across your lifespan. So even though it takes a little longer to implement these strategies, these in the end are far more powerful than the medications. And that's actually what the research shows over and over again. Hmm. Wow. That's a very good way of understanding that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, I'm a big believer in using our biology activity and nutrition and um, stress management as a way to improve not only sleep, but, but other things. Mm -hmm. Totally. We have that with us all the time. That's the most reliable method. Yes. Now, finally, we might be running out of time here. I don't know. But, but my, my final myth <laughs> that I want to discuss, I always tell people, give up the fantasy. When we hit adulthood, we, we expect, even accept, that most things are going to change as we get older. But for some reason, we think sleep is exempt. We think we should be sleeping exactly the same as we did when we were eight years old. And we will never get better sleep than we did when we were eight years old. Because when we're eight years old, we, we don't have a mortgage to worry about or a family to take care of or a job to go to every day. We don't have to worry about homework for the most part. That probably is, there might be some cultural differences, or I don't know. But in the States, the real homework doesn't start until probably seventh or eighth grade elementary school. So we don't have a lot of homework. We can get home from school. We can play with our friends. We've got a great life. Our relationship with our parents is still pretty good. It's all good. So our sleep is fantastic. We're getting lots of deep sleep. We're rarely waking up. We do feel refreshed in the morning. Those days are gone. Sleep changes as we get older and you have to change along with it. If you don't change along with it, ultimately your sleep quality is going to get worse. And so understanding how sleep changes as we get older and adapting to that is a very important part of maintaining healthy sleep well into your later decades. Hmm. I like that. So as we're growing up, we need to accept 
or realize that our sleep actually is changing. Yes, yes. When as we get older, deep sleep decreases. Waking up at night increases a bit more. Total sleep time declines a bit. So if you recognize this reality, accept it, and work with it, that's how you can maintain healthy, good quality sleep as you get older.、Hmm. What is the most difficult change that really throw people off when we age? I think the biggest problem I see is people are usually spending as much, or sometimes more, time in bed in their later decades as they did when they were younger. Because total sleep time has decreased a bit, inevitably some of that time is spent awake. And what are they doing when they're awake at night? They're worrying about their sleep. So that's probably the biggest problem I see as people get older. They continue to spend the same amount of time in bed, and that fragments their sleep quality. Whereas if they spend a little less time in bed, match their What we call sleep opportunity to their sleep ability. So match the time they spend in bed to the amount of sleep they think they're producing every night. They would actually get better sleep quality, and better sleep quality does leave people feeling better during the day. So sounds like we really need to focus on the quality of our sleep. I think focusing on quality is very important because you can't. If you focus on quantity, you get into trouble. Focusing on quantity is how people get into the situation where they're spending much longer in bed than they can fill with sleep, and again, as a result, their sleep quality worsens. They get lighter sleep; sleep is more fragmented. So, focusing on the quantity is a problem, which is unfortunately exacerbated by a lot of these myths. I, I'm sure you've heard the the big one out there: everyone needs eight hours of sleep. Oh yeah, all the time. Every time I try to search for some materials, especially in Chinese, that always jump up all the time from so-called experts. Yes, this is not accurate and not helpful. Remember, we talked about normal variability in sleep timing. Well, there's normal variability in sleep need. So you want to understand what your particular sleep need and sleep timing are. The optimal amount of sleep for any individual. Is the amount that individual needs to feel alert and well rested during the day and evening, so they can do the things they want to do, apart from a normal dip in the afternoon. That's how you know your optimal amount of sleep, and the range can be six to ten hours. So even six hours could be normal. Yes, absolutely. It differs between individuals, so people should not get hung up on the eight hours because that's just going to get them in trouble. If you're someone who actually needs Let's say seven hours of sleep to feel fine during the day, do everything you need to do, but you think you need eight. So now you're going to be in bed for eight and a half or nine hours to make sure you get that eight hours. You're going to spend an hour and a half or two hours awake at night, and you don't need to. And then what are you doing when you're awake at night? You're worrying about your sleep. So it's very important people have a clear understanding of this normal variability in sleep need and sleep timing, and try to figure out for them what what window should they be sleeping in? Where should that window be placed? How long should it be? Wow. Yes, definitely. Feels like that's a lot. People possibly never even thought about. No, I don't think we have thought about it because I think we've gone, and I suspect the countries around the world are probably pretty similar. But in the U.S., we've gone from totally disparaging, dismissing,、um, ignoring sleep. It's not important. I don't need to sleep. I can get four hours. I'm fine. So we've gone from That which really characterized our culture for <laughs> probably since this country was founded, you know, 150, 200 years. We've gone from that to 
this sort of belief that we all need to get this amount of sleep. So we've, we're really lacking nuance here. The pendulum has swung from one extreme to the other. And I'm hoping, and I'm sure it will happen, but I'm hoping that the pendulum will swing back to the middle and people will begin to understand some of the nuances of sleep, some of this variability that we've been talking about. And people will start to think about sleep, their own sleep, the sleep of others in a more sophisticated way than they are now. Mm. Yes, I really like all this information you shared. I hope all this more science-based understanding about sleep myths can help a lot of people, can help a lot of our audience to clarify the picture, to reduce their worries about sleep, to really be able to accept ourselves, accept our sleep that is maybe unique, but normal. Yes, yes, I think that's very well said. And that certainly is one of my goals as well, to try to help educate people and give them a, an understanding of the complexities, complexities of sleep, the variability in sleep, so that they can realize um, that their sleep might well be normal. I really appreciate what you're doing for your audience and your listeners, because I think that some of the information you presented on your podcasts does get at this more nuanced understanding of sleep. I'd be very curious to hear what, if any, questions your listeners have after uh, hearing this episode. I will definitely let you know. I will post all the information on the show note, and uh, hopefully we get some good questions, feedbacks. Then I will be able to in, uh, invite you back to the show again, talk even deeper about sleep. That would be wonderful, Sean. I would love that. Great. Thank you very much, Dr. Barwick. This is great. You are welcome. It was my pleasure, Ishaan. What great information here. So just like Dr. Barwick said, we want to trust our body, listen to our body, and accept changes of our sleep as we get older. So just go with the flow and follow the signals of our body. Then we will be able to improve our sleep quality. And we always want to focus on the quality over quantity. Thank you for listening today, and hopefully you enjoyed today's show. Again, all the show notes will be combined with last episode, and you can find it in deepintosleep.co forward slash episode forward slash 009. Also, this is the 10th episode of the show. Thank you so much for all your support and your time listening. Hopefully, you learn something from each our episode. Again, if you have any questions or comments, I would love to hear from you. Please feel free to either leave a comment or email me. It will be Halloween tomorrow. Wish you all a happy Halloween, and I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.
Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.